Well, I'll begin by asking um, the the question uh, about the Powerball. Did you did you have your daydream? Yeah. All right. Did you figure out how you'd spend it? You know, I thought I gave it some thought. I, I confess. Um, uh, I, I spent a couple of minutes, you know, kind of just, you know, looking off into the sky and thinking, what would you do with that kind of money? Just a, uh, the, the, the overall Powerball was $1.3 billion, and it was divided between three unfortunate people they had to share. So, um, so instead of getting the full $1.3 billion, they only got, um, uh, what, $400, billion, $400 million apiece, and then half of that went to taxes, so they probably only take home about $200 million dollars. And I was thinking to myself, how would you possibly spend that much money? You know, I, 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 my imagination failed. I kind of thought of some upgrades, some obvious decisions, you know, about I would do this and I do that. And I got, you know, a couple of hundred thousand dollars. And I, I had, you know, kind of, I didn't even make it to a million. I just honestly couldn't figure out a way to spend that much money. And, you know, if you invested it, you know, you're, you're looking at, uh, eight million dollars a year just to stay even. And I didn't, I, I couldn't figure out how I could possibly do that. So, so I don't know. Should have asked you. Yeah. This is my daydream. All right. So um, we're we're in a series of of conversations that Jesus has invited us to think about what it means to be perfect. He says that we should be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect, and then he begins teaching us what that actually looks like. And today he's going to be talking about probably the most difficult area of all, which is money. He's he's already kind of hinted at that a little bit last week. We looked at alms giving because giving to the poor is important. But today he's going to talk about money. And money is incredibly difficult because as Jesus tells us, no one can serve God and wealth. And you may be saying to yourself, I'm doing okay, I'm, I'm serving God, and I'm, I'm managing my money, I'm not bouncing checks, I'm serving God and money. What does Jesus know? Well, what Jesus is getting at is total devotion. The kind of devotion we talked about, we heard the, in the, uh, in the Old Testament passage, where he says, serve the Lord your God alone. By his name, you shall swear that you shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole strength. So, so it's talking about total devotion, not kind of half-hearted devotion, a little here and a little there. Uh, you can only do one, you can only do that for one master. Either God is your master, or money is your master. So that's what Jesus is getting at. And you may still resist that, but let me, let me give it to you a different direction and maybe see if it makes more sense this way. Think about this question in terms of your own life, in terms of the people you live with, in terms of the people in your neighborhood or the people uh, throughout the town, even the people across America or the whole world. Think about this question. How many people lose sleep at night because of money? And how many people lose sleep at night because of God? Because they're worried about God. Because, you, you, you know, the answer is God wants the answer to both questions to be zero. God wants nobody to be worried about money, and he wants nobody to be worried about him. And so he sent a Savior. But money didn't send a Savior. So Jesus has to do it himself. So Jesus is teaching us about money because money did not send you a Savior to tell you how you could avoid being worried about money. So Jesus begins teaching about money here. And um, one of the things I often think about when I read the Bible is how much harder money is today than it was in Bible times. You know, most of the things in the Bible are kind of evergreen. You know, if, if God's telling you how to have a good marriage, that's pretty much the same forever and ever, that 
that people are pretty much the same and relationships are pretty much the same. And if God's telling you this is how you can have a good marriage and this is what you can do to ruin it, it's pretty much the same whatever whatever century you live in. And and that's true of a lot of things in the Bible, even things like sex. You know, people always think that their generation discovered sex. But if you read the histories, you'll find that they had sex back in Roman, you know, Roman Empire. They had sex back then too. A lot of the stuff we read in the Bible is pretty much evergreen. And there's a few things that are actually easier. I think parenting is probably easier today than it was in Jesus's time. Um uh, because because among other things, if you were a parent back in Jesus's time, you were kind of the local law enforcement and you had responsibility for how your children behaved and if they got in trouble you got in trouble i mean if they went to if they did something that would cause them to get in trouble with the law so did you and you were supposed to to nip that in the bud and keep it from happening and today it's like you know i don't know we've never had you know he's always run wild we don't know we you can actually kind of say we did our best it breaks our heart but don't put me in jail too so Parenting is actually a little easier, and it's easier to be a disciple. If you came to church today, no one's going to arrest you on your way out and put you in an arena filled with lions. It's actually easier to be a, a, a disciple of Jesus today than it was in Bible times. But money is spectacularly harder than it was in Jesus' time. And here's, here, here's an example of what I mean by that. Jesus tells us, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Nobody does that. Nobody stores up treasures on earth. You know, people who store up treasures on earth are called hoarders. And it's a mental illness. Have you ever met a real hoarder? Have you ever been in a hoarder's house? You know, with the, the bags of rotting groceries and the stacks of newspapers that are going to fall down and injure somebody. Hoarder, hoarding is a mental illness. It's, it's disturbing when you actually encounter a hoarder. But in Jesus' day, that's what you did. If you had something of value, if you had obtained something of value, then your only choice was to hoard it. You converted it into whatever you could, you could of value that you hoped would, would be uh, small and compact and would last. So precious metals, gems, works of art, um, maybe precious oils. We see in the Bible people have uh, little uh, uh, jars of alabaster with a nard in them and things like that. So we know that they would try to concentrate the value in a small place and then they would put it in a treasury. But we don't have treasuries anymore. We don't do that. But in Jesus' day, that was really the only choice that there was. When, when I was talking about the Powerball a few minutes ago, did you picture your living room filled with sacks of money? No. Who would do that, right? You know, I, I got $200 million. My first step is to go turn it into sacks of money and some precious gems, and then I'll be like Smog the Dragon, and I'll kind of, you know, slither around on top of it. You know, no one thinks that way. We don't think that way. What you thought of is, I'm going to invest it. Um, I'm going to put it someplace. I don't even know where. It's going to be a, a, a ledger entry somewhere. And then when I want to actually buy the Corvette or whatever, then I will just write a check or or I will do whatever it takes to make a withdrawal. You're not thinking about, I'll take in a sack from the living room. And you're not thinking about the living room with the guards outside to keep people out of your living room. We're not worried about storing up treasures. So on the one hand, it's easier because we live in what's called a developing economy, a developed economy. In fact, that's the criterion we use to distinguish between countries. We talk about the developing world or the or the developed world. And we're not talking about their culture or their arts or their science. We're talking about their financial services. We talk about 
the economy of a country as a measure of what what kind of category we will put that country in. So there's a group called the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, and they they have estimated based on World Bank data, you know, people always argue about this stuff, and I'm not smart enough in, a, in five minutes of Googling to figure it out, but they estimate, the, the OECD estimates, that about 20% of a developed country's economy is financial services. So when you win the Powerball, you just send it off into the financial services industry somewhere, and they take care of it. They've got the guards. They figure out what to do with it, and you don't have to worry about that stuff because we have a financial services um, sector in our economy. It's about 20% of our economy. And and if that number is right, and, and smart people think it is, then that would put it ahead of the government. It would put it ahead of... Um, manufacturing, or to put it ahead of education and healthcare, it would be the largest single sector of our economy because that's an important part of what it means to live in today's world. And that has a plus. There's a plus. I mean, we don't have to have a storeroom full of gold in our, in our bedroom or something, but it also means it's harder to look at it and say, have I become a hoarder? The, um, the, the good thing about it, though, that, that, that's, that's the hard thing. It's harder to look and see, see whether I've become a hoarder. The good thing is it's also much harder today to be totally selfish in what you do with it. You know, if you invest the money, if you, if you do that, you send it off into the financial sector, wherever they do stuff in the financial sector, they're not going to put it in a, in a building full of gold coins and slither around on it either. They're going to loan it out to companies that are going to use it to, to buy equipment or, or expand to a new territory. They're going to hire people. It's going to be put into circulation in our economy. Um, that's interactive sermons. This is so cool. This is, this is where the next generation is taking us, really. Um, so um, so uh, it's, going to, uh, it's going to go into to, to the economy. It's going, to, it's going to have an impact in the economy when you save money. But if you spend money, let's suppose you decide to fly to Hawaii. Now, why anybody in Alaska would want to fly to Hawaii in January, I can't even figure that out. But I understand we've got, what, three couples from our church are doing that this week. So, so um, some, somehow people figure that that's worthwhile. But if you do that, that may be self-indulgent, maybe. But on the other hand, you're also keeping Alaska Airlines flying, right? You, you, you're helping them pay for their airplanes and their fuel. You're helping them keep their baggage handlers employed. It's very hard in a developed economy to do things that are totally selfish. But it's very easy in a developing economy to not realize you've become a hoarder because you're not tripping over the money anymore. It's just off there doing its stuff. And because it's important, Jesus gives us a guideline. And I want to set this up a little bit because uh, because it may not be easy to understand whether he's telling the truth or not. Because, because we may say, well, if I'm not tripping on it anymore, what harm does it do? We're, we're, we're wrestling with the question of, is Jesus right when he says you can't serve God in money? Let me give you another example. Have you all ever heard of Apple Computer? Okay. They make iPads and iPhones and streaming music services. And I understand they actually have a few people who are still working on computers. But, um, sorry, Macintosh joke there. <laughs> some, of us, some of us aren't really happy with the new direction. So, um, anyway, Apple makes computers, but what they mainly make is money. They make tons of money. They make, you know, tons of money. They have $200 billion in cash. 
So they've got their fancy new spaceship campus in Cupertino. They've got all their buildings. They've got all their employees. They've got their real estate. They, they've got their, their plants that they've got investments in and so forth. Apple is keeping the doors going. They're keeping things coming and going. They're buying their raw materials. They're staying in business. But then on top of that, they've got $200 billion in cash. They are rich. They are fabulously rich. They are, they are rich beyond the imagination. Um, last year alone, in the last fiscal year, Apple put aside $80 billion in cash. So they thank you for those iPhones. $80 billion. Think about $80 billion. That's enough money to buy ExxonMobil. Or if you prefer, if you kind of want to keep it close to home, you could buy ConocoPhillips and BP and have $10 billion left over for lunch. Okay. (laughs) Apple is rolling in money. But they're hoarders. See, they can't bring that money back. Because if they bring it back, it's going to be subject to to different kinds of taxes due to the, the repatriation. When it comes back into the United States, it's going to be taxed differently than it is when it's out beyond the, 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 the boundaries of our country. And the investors would would murder Apple if they tried to bring it all back and basically hand it all to the government. So the investors are saying, no, don't do that. Keep it overseas. And Apple is going, okay, well, we've got to figure out what to do with it because we don't want to put it in a vault full of coins and slither around on it like a dragon. So what do we do with it? And the answer is they figure that out. They figure out what to do with the money so it's earning interest or it's uh, helping their strategic partners build new factories or whatever they're trying to do. Apple has to figure out what to do with that money because they can't bring it home. They can't give it back to their investors. They can't, they can't, they, 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 they have to figure out what to do with this hoard of $200 billion. And so that means there are people at Apple who either figure this out themselves or who manage the people who figure it out, who actually work out in the financial sector. So either Apple is doing it themselves, or they are managing people who do it for them. So Apple is basically thinking about their money. They're lying awake. Now, corporations don't lie awake at money. I mean, lie awake at night worrying about their money. Corporations have people who come in and worry about the money during the daytime. But they're basically distracted. The, the time they're spending thinking about their money is not time they're thinking about the next iPad or the next iPhone or the next Macintosh if they ever do another one of those. Um, they're not thinking about those because they're thinking about their money. Now, for you and me, we don't have other people you know, who, who work in the cube next to us who worry about our problems. We worry about our own problems. Corporations don't have souls. People do. So Jesus is telling us the time you spend worrying about your hoard is time that is taken away from the rest of your life. Jesus knows that our money is the biggest competition he's got for our hearts. And I would say just in passing, not just Jesus, but your spouse, your kids. The biggest competition you've got that they have for your heart is your money. So... Jesus fortunately gives us a solution, or not really a solution, but he gives us a gauge that we can use to figure out how we're doing. He tells us this. He says, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He gives us this, this, uh, x-ray vision, this, 
this uh, uh, diagnostic tool that helps us to understand what we're doing. Because we can't simply say, get rid of it all. Sometimes you can't. You can't necessarily say, keep it all, because sometimes that's selfish. Jesus gives us a tool to help us to understand what to do about money. He says, where your money is, there your heart will be too. So what is the solution? The solution is to look at your money and say, why am I doing that? Don't be as worried about the how as the why. You know, if you're spending your money, ask yourself, why am I spending that money? Maybe the reason you want to go to Hawaii is because you want to spend some time with your spouse or with with your, your kids. You just want to have a family vacation and actually see each other for a change and do it in a nicer, warmer climate. Maybe that's the reason. Maybe the reason you're spending your money is because you've already got 22 pairs of shoes and you just want one more. Because that 22nd pair of shoes is going to somehow make your life better. So ask yourself, why am I spending this money? But the same token, ask yourself, why are you saving the money? Why are you saving? You know, you, you can you can save for a good reason. You can save for a bad reason. Uh, a bad reason would be I'm saving money because I can't get enough. Because the world is full of uncertainty, and if I have enough money, then I can guard against any uncertainty that can happen. And that's ridiculous. There's no there's no amount of money in the world that can guard you against cancer or a heart attack. Maybe you can pay for a gym membership, but that's about it. You you cannot have enough money to guard against all the things that can happen to you. So if you look at your heart and say, why am I so concerned with saving money? It's because I want to look after my own welfare in a world full of craziness. Then maybe you have a hoarder's mentality. But at the same time, maybe the reason you're saving is for a good reason. Maybe you're saving, you know, there's a guy on the radio, Dave Ramsey, I really admire. He says, you should live like no one else so you can give like no one else. He says, you should live within your means, which no one else does, so that someday you'll have money and you can give like no one else. You can help somebody who needs help just because you have the resources to do that. Maybe you're saving for a good purpose. And not only that, you can actually give for a bad reason. You know, if if one of you had won the Powerball, this would be a sermon about tithing, I admit it. But... <laughs> Absolutely. But um, but if the reason you want to give is simply be you say, I don't want the hassle. You know, I'm just going to basically throw this money away. Maybe the reason God gave you that Powerball winning is because he really wants you to take responsibility to figure out what to do with it. Well, we see this all the time. These these um, dot-com zillionaires with their, with their foundations, they have a responsibility. They're trying to figure out how can I give this money away responsibly. I mean, I could just set fire to it. But how can I do that responsibly? And I think sometimes we can actually give money irresponsibly just because I got to get through $8 million this year because there's going to be another $8 million next year and I just don't know what to do with it. And so people sometimes give irresponsibly or they, they play with their money. And Jesus is saying whether it's giving, whether it's saving, whether it's spending, it's not what you do with your money, it's why. He says, look at your heart because where your heart is, there your money is. Where your money is, there your heart is. Somewhere in here I was supposed to mention, I forgot. Um, one last thought. You really should be thinking about giving. We don't give enough. Um, we're, we're one of the richest societies ever. Um, 
we are all of us in the top few percent of the of the population of the world. And I want you to hear this in context. Earlier in this chapter, Jesus talked about giving alms. And in the next chapter, he's going to talk about the golden rule. He's going to say, do to others what you would do for yourself, what you would want done for your for yourself. So in context, I'm not saying be stingy, that there's a, usually uh, a good reason somewhere. If you just keep searching, you can find a good reason to be stingy. Jesus is saying, care about the people who are poorer than you are, people who who um, who need your help. But when you do, ask yourself why. Is it because you just don't want the responsibility? When you spend money, ask yourself, why am I doing this? Do I really think this is going to make me happy? And when you save, ask yourself, is this just hoarding? Because where your money is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Loving God, we give thanks that we have a developed economy. We thanks that we, we give thanks that we don't have to to lie awake at night wondering if someone's breaking into the living room to take home our, our retirement fund, take away our retirement fund. We thank you we have these things, but it makes it harder. It makes it harder for us to know whether we're using our money well. And so we pray for your guidance. We pray you would help us to, to monitor our hearts and help us not become hoarders. Help us to spend well, to save well, and to give well. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.